thank you for joining us for another episode of Be Empowered. We're glad to be spending time with you again today because we all know that the time you invest in self-development not only increases the trajectory of your success, but the success of those you lead as well. So today we're going to be talking about managing up. One thing we all know is that staffing is a headache for every industry throughout the world, not even just this country. It's hard to find people, let alone good people. This is leading to changes in the workforce and career paths are definitely looking different. Years ago, I think the ladder of a career had a direct relationship with your age. As you got older, you climbed up the ladder with all the people at the time being on the top, being in the same generation. That isn't always true now. It might look more like a mountain range outline, not just a nice step ladder. So if we're going to have younger people in management positions, we should tr probably talk about this. So I'm excited to have a guest with me today, one of my favorite people, Jen Miskimmons, Director of Operations for Osbicore. Hi, Erica. Hello. Um, she, they own and operate four senior living locations in Missouri and Iowa. She's also a young leader. I'll let her tell a little bit about herself in a second. Um, and she's been in a role for a while of being a manager slash leader. So thank you for joining me today, Jen. Um, to start it off, I always ask an icebreaker question to kind of get the audience to get to know you a little bit. Um, so due to our discussion, I think it would be fitting to ask a millennial question question since we are millennials. So my question is going to be, what stereotypical trait do you absolutely have that people identify with millennials? And I can give you my answer first to kind of start it off. For me, I am absolutely the person that texts messages as a way of their first communication. <laughs> and <clears throat> I always thought, oh, no, I'm very much into face-to-face -face communication. And then a, a little while ago, one of our vendors that we work with, I would say he's in his 50s, and he would call me and leave me a voicemail, and then maybe I'd email him back. Or I, I would get back to him, but not in the form of a phone call. So one time he had called, left a voicemail, and then all of a sudden, right away, I get a text and he is saying, you can just text me back your answer. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm that millennial that doesn't have face-to-face -face conversations. So that would be the trait that I definitely most identify with. I would agree with that with you, and I would say I have that trait as well. Um, I think that the one that I probably have the most is I'm very transparent. And I mean that, and I'm who I am. Mm -hmm. And I like people to be open and honest with me about who they are as well. Uh, I look for that in my employer and my employees. So I'm an open book and I like open communication and I'd rather tell somebody bad news than give them a lot of surprises. So that's probably one of the traits that I have of being a millennial. Awesome. So when we got this going, I just reached out to Jen because we definitely have a lot of good conversations. I'm very comfortable with her because, like we recently said, we're both millennials and, and we're both in senior living industry. And I said, do you want to join my podcast? And her response was, did you know that is on my bucket list to be on a podcast? <laughs> so I was like, you are absolutely on this podcast. We were going to title this, Jen came up with it, The Bed 
best podcasts of any podcast ever. So that is another title. You won't be able to find this podcast when you search by that, but that's definitely a good title for what we're going to put on it. So, Jen, we're talking about managing up. Tell us a little bit about your management history, how you got started into management, and how you got to where you are today. Right. So I have been in senior living for 11 years. Wow, is that? Yeah, um, which doesn't seem like that. And especially if you, I'm in my early 30s, so most people assume that I haven't been in long-term care as long as I have. And I say that I've been in long-term care for 11 years, but really I've been in long-term care since my, before I was born. (laughs) (laughs) My parents, uh, they met in a nursing home. So, I mean, you know. who, Who starts their love at first only Ed and Charlene. <laughs> it was uh, my mom's parents had owned a nursing home and she was the office manager. And my dad's company that he was working for at the time was taking it over. And that's how they met. And it's been love ever since then. <laughs> so I, I grew up in long, long-term care. I went to nursing homes and helped with activities. We have always went there for holiday meals on for, with employees and with um Resident. So I grew up going to the going to them. When I was in high school, I worked at the nursing home, and that's when uh, HIPAA really cracked down. So mm-hmm. I was uh, helped put together HIPAA packets, and I didn't know what HIPAA meant. It was uh, just some way to get from extra cash. But I didn't want to do nursing homes. I didn't. I didn't <laughs> want to do. do it. I didn't want to do it. Uh, I went to school. Got. I was going to be an attorney. I got my political science degree. But when I was in college, I got into politics. And so I worked for a campaign, and I guess that was my first real job. And then at the time, I worked for a candidate who lost, and and we went into a recession. So I couldn't really find a job. I was applying to a lot of places, and I ended up going back to what I did in college, and I waitressed. And my dad sat me down and said, I really think you'd be good at this. I think it's something that you should try, and let's do a trial period. Start in June. Yeah. Work for three months, see if you like it. And I started in June of 2009, and I, or 2009, yeah, and I loved it. I was, this is something that I actually enjoyed. I was good at it. It kind of came natural. I started working in Missouri, and then I came to Iowa in September, and I was the assistant administrator. So I worked under him for almost two years. And then I was the administrator for four more years, and then I've been the director of operations since then. So you go around, and your role is to basically help other managers, correct? Yes. Yes, I I oversee the four administrators, and then I have uh, our internal auditor also reports to me. She does all of our billing, um, AR, AP, all of that stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. And you have young managers under you as well. I do. This is actually the youngest group that I've ever had. I have uh, three of them are older than me, but two of them are only two years older than me. Mm -hmm. And then one of them is about a little bit more than a year younger than me. So that'll play into some um, discussion maybe Mm -hmm. later on. But so when we're talking about managers, sometimes you can tell people shouldn't be managers, but they have the title and they feel like that's enough to make it so. 
But when we talk about managers today, the title manager, director, supervisor, that doesn't always come with respect. I think that's one topic we want to talk about that still has to be earned. So any young managers out there, if you're just starting and you're wondering what's going on, you don't just get that respect naturally with the title. So how do you earn that respect when you're younger than everyone you're in charge of leading? Because you were in your mid-20s leading people that probably had been in their role for 30 years at sometimes. Right. So I was uh, 22 when I first <laughs> oh, yeah. started. Yeah. So I was a baby. Uh, I graduated college uh, when I was 21. So I was 22 when I first took over and um, I was very entitled. I, like you said, I felt that I had this position and that should garner respect, but you have to earn respect from people. And I feel that one of the ways that I've been able to earn and keep respect of employees, especially those older than me, is that I don't just talk the talk, I walk the walk. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be there to support you. I'm going to be, have open communication with you. I will be loyal to you if you're loyal to me. And those things over the years have really, they seem really basic but yeah. they have worked for me. I have a, an administrator. She's worked for us for 21 years and she's worked in numerous roles over the years. And uh, about two years ago or a year and a half, I said, Sarah, I want you, I think that you'd be good at this position. I want you to consider doing it. And she's at a point in her life, her daughters are both out of school and she was kind of like on the downhill slide. And mm -hmm. she's like, oh, I don't know if I want to take this on at this part of my life. And I sat down and I said, well, I, I respect that. This is why I think you'd be good at this position. And through this, she, through this position, she decided to take it. She has learned a lot. And I think that she has been successful partly because uh, she's bought into me mm -hmm. and she lists, she respects me. She respects my opinion. Um, she has confidence in my abilities to be her manager and to be her coach yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Now, don't you think, too, um, I definitely think walking the walk, doing what you say you're going to do is going to be important. Also, wouldn't you suggest that you should know what you're talking about? Meaning, if you don't, you don't need to know all the answers, but going back to when you said you're transparent, doesn't it helpful to, isn't it helpful to be honest about that? Like, if you don't know something, being honest with your team, but figuring it out and getting educated on that. Right. And that's something that I did have to learn as a new ed manager. I think that sometimes you feel that because of your position, you do have to know everything. But the fact is you don't. Nobody knows everything. There's so much to know about senior living, especially. And I have been doing it for 11 years, and I still learn something new every day. Mm -hmm. And I think saying, I don't know, and then finding the right answer make somebody respect you a heck of a lot more. And, you know, we're dealing with people's lives and saying, I don't know, rather than... Um, Bull crap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> rather than being... Someone could get hurt. Yeah, somebody could get hurt or you could have a fine or, yeah. you know, there's a lot of things that can happen. There's serious ramifications to BSing your way through things. Yeah. No, I agree. I just sometimes think that, you know, you not necessarily vulnerable in, in, a, in a bad way, but vulnerable in the fact that you need to realize as a young manager you are going to learn, and that's a good thing. And if you're going to put a stop up to that, that's, that's not going to be helpful when you're managing. Was there anything else you did to gain buy-in from your employees who may have had more experience than you? And do you ever stop gaining that buy-in? 
One thing that I did do a lot was I would go and to each department and talk to people and ask them what would make them successful in that job. And I did this because I was learning. I like that. I was learning. Yeah. And I actually learned that tool through uh, where I did my practicum through Scottish Rite Park, uh, Dan Bohr. That's something that he he taught me was to talk to your departments. And so I would ask them, what, what's going to help you be successful in your job? And tell me a little bit about your job. And that helped me learn more about nursing. It helped me learn more about dietary, more about housekeeping. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that really helped me be become the manager of who I am today. And you can do that even as if you're, you're a manager of multiple managers, but even if you're a manager, I think that would really help gain your team's respect is if you sit down with, if you're a new manager of dietary, you're a new manager at a restaurant, right. is sitting down with them and hearing what they have to say. Because right away you're proving, proving that you care and that you listen. And I think that is missing out where you see a lot of turnover. There is no sense of, you know, will they care about me? If they care about me, I might not leave. So I think that's really good advice. Um, Switching gears a little bit. So we've given you some advice about how to gain that respect. Now, I feel like when we're younger, we're like ever the optimist. We're invincible, right? So we can come in and we're going to change things and we've got great ideas and everyone's going to love us. And then you get into your role and you realize that might not be the case. (laughs) So what are some things that you had to get used to as a young leader or manager? Uh, I would say not everybody's going to like you and that's okay. That's the first thing. Um, When you first start out, you do want to be friends with your staff sometimes. You want to gain their respect that way. Um, But there's no way that, say, you work in a long-term care facility and there's usually 40 to 70 employees. 40 to 70 people aren't going to like you. If you're a dietary manager, 10 people aren't always going to like you. And the same thing is in real life. So as a young manager, that's something that I actually had to get used to was not everybody's going to like me and that's okay. Um, Worrying isn't going to help. And during, especially during surveys, I used to be, for lack of a better word, a spaz during <laughs> surveys. I would, uh, you know, I started to be crazy just, person. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> and and now it, I have had excellent surveys. I've had surveys with deficiency-free surveys, and then I've had twenty tags, and I pretty much react the same way to the surveyors. I mean, obviously, we celebrate successes and then we have to work on things. But you can't let a survey uh, turn you into somebody who you're not. You have to. There's nothing that you can do. Worrying is not going to help. And you can't change the past. Mm -hmm. So and you can't um, make somebody do something that they don't want to do. And so that's one thing. Worrying was, was something that I used to do a lot. And I don't really do that anymore. Well, and you can't. I mean, the people that work are working for you, they're going to mess up. And, and they're going to know the answer to a question, how many seconds do you wash your hands, when do you wash your hands. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they might have anxiety and clam up. And right. so you don't have control. So maybe that control piece, too, is is something to to learn about or understand, too. Right. And it's the I was much more of a micromanager at first. And now I 
trust my employees to do their job until I need to st- step in. And you you have to check things. You have to spot check things. But that comes with experience. Mm-hmm. So I know what to look for now. Mm-hmm. 11 years ago, I didn't know what to look for. So that's, I think, very natural to be a micromanager if you want to be successful at first. And then you have to learn to let um, let go of things little by little. And, you know, I had... Uh, Andy from Lee Agency, one thing that he said, it's like, I'm a perfectionist, like he's a perfectionist. And sometimes you just have to let things go because you have to say, yeah, I could probably do it better, but is Erica going to do it good enough for it to be done? And that's something you have to do as a manager because if not, it will drive you crazy. Well, if you're still going to end at the same point, your residents are being Mm -hmm. taken care of, you're meeting regulations, and people are happy. Exactly. I guess, yeah. The Sometimes the journey might look different as long as you get to the destination the same way. Exactly. And I think that's super hard. And mm-hmm. to, to put trust in the fact that someone's going to get it done. Like sometimes you do things and, and then you give, you delegate a task or right. responsibility to someone and they don't get it done. That doesn't always mean to write it off and just take it back under your wing and to do it yourself. You still have to figure out a way to make that work because you can't do everything as a manager at all. No. And in the position that I'm in now, that's one thing you really have to let go. I can't be uh, four places at once. Mm -hmm. I can't be four places once a week. Mm -hmm. It's unrealistic. So I feel that you have to be able to trust your staff. That's a big thing, trusting. And I Mm -hmm. think that you were talking about Mm buy-in. If you trust your staff and you're invested in your staff and you're loyal to your staff, that's where you continue to work on your buy-in with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think when we were talking about, you know, being optimist and all things can, you know, you're going to change things and all this type of stuff. I also feel like it's taken a little bit of time to be honest with yourself when your ideas aren't good or maybe your thought or way of doing things weren't the best. How did you get used to that? You know, I think it's certainly humility. And I think that that's something that that was a hard pill for me to swallow mm-hmm. um, because, you know, we all think that we're always right. You awesome. Know, and awesome. <laughs> ask, ask my husband. I, I like to I, I say I'm not always right. I'm just right a lot, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, getting used to not always being right. And some of your ideas just suck. They and may have seemed good. Right. At the time or in theory. And then you the, you execute them and you're like, what Ooh. was I thinking? And you, <laughs> you're like, okay, back to the drawing board. I think with that, I, I got used to um, asking employees for their input, mm-hmm. you know, because my position and my outlook is completely different than that of a housekeeper or a CNA. You know, your CNAs are, are the backbone of your building. And they're going to be able to tell me what's going to make things more efficient, what's going to make their jobs easier. So why would an administrator that you're a desk job, why would I be making the decisions that are going to make a CNA's job easier? I don't know that. And I I think admitting that Mm -hmm. is a big thing about um, growing as a manager. Well, and once again, going back to you're going to gain that buy-in. Because your, right. your staff are like, you want to know about me? My mom always used to say the quickest way to make a friend is to ask for their help on something. And I think that isn't just in the case of friends. It's definitely coworkers, employees, asking for their help, asking for their buy-in. You're doing a couple things. You're also admitting 
that you aren't perfect and showing your humility. And I think it's just a, a nonstop circle of showing respect, gaining respect, showing respect, gaining respect. Um, so when we're talking about managers, one thing that has to be identified and discussed is difficult conversations, which me as a person, that's something I need to grow on. I think difficult conversations are scary and hard. They make my pit sweat and I don't like them. Um, so, you know, I, I would think having them with older adults when you're the young manager would be even more difficult. Do you have any examples of difficult conversations with you when you were younger? Would you do them the same or would you have changed them? Any of that stick out? I think that, uh, yeah, I have plenty of difficult <laughs> conversations. I, I think that one thing that, you know, we talk about, oh, we're both millennials. And so I feel that we have the same language in a lot of ways. We we understand each other. We grew up during the same time. Right. And so we have a different understanding than, say, baby boomers. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a different outlook. And one thing that I really didn't do when I was younger was I, I didn't talk to you as a millennial or a you know, my maintenance guy as a baby boomer. I talk to everybody the same. And mm -hmm. I feel like that sometimes that's a, mis that's a mistake yeah. because you have to understand somebody and how they're going to react and how you word things. How you approach them. Oh, gosh. How you approach things. How you... <clears throat> Your, your mannerisms. Mm -hmm. And those are all things that you really have to take into account when you're talking to somebody. I mean, a millennial, you know, we want, you're going to take negativity a lot better if you have the negative that happened, but you also have to say something nice about them too. <laughs> and I know, and I More like that. I, yeah, that, that coaching. And then a baby boomer is going to want you just to tell them, you mm -hmm. know, be frank with it. But they don't want any surprises. So they'd rather have like little conversations. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really, there are some things that I think that won't change. Some people look at me and they're like, you're 33 and I'm 55 and you shouldn't tell me what to do. Right. And I that's think that that's, that's just thing. character. Yeah. But you know, there's going to be somebody that's going to look at me and say, I'm 22 and I know everything. Mm -hmm. And my age has nothing Very to do with it. Point. So I think, honestly, some employees are just bad employees. Mm -hmm. And that's has nothing to do with the generation. Yeah. But I do think you have to understand your your audience who you're talking to. Yeah. And you should know your employees anyway, yeah. and know how to talk to them what's going to work for them and what's not. Um, I don't mind difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I look at them as learning experiences for yeah. the most part. I've only had one difficult conversation that turned into uh, a disaster, but that was because— That's pretty good track record. <laughs> well, I mean, what, you know what I would consider a death. I've certainly had people talk back to me, and uh, you learn over the years how to react to that. That's mm -hmm. one thing. Like, now I just don't tolerate it. I don't mm -hmm. even— let it happen. Mm -hmm. I guess it ha if it happens, I cut it off right away. Before I'd be like, okay, well, tell me how you feel. It's like, well, I'm not your therapist. I'm your manager. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as cold as that sounds. <laughs> no, I mean, but you have to, once again, going back to that respect, you have to also make sure you're gaining that and showing that right. you respect yourself. Well, and you have to, you know, uh, I, I respect people and I trust people until they, um, until they make me not trust them, until they lie to me or do things, something not to yeah. To take that trust away. So what do you think, what would you give advice for people? Like for me, I'm kind of a people pleaser. So I think mm -hmm. that's what makes it difficult is you don't want people to be upset. I wouldn't say I'm high on the empathy. I don't know. It's not an empathy thing. It's more of a, oh, I don't want them to hate me. But going back to what you said, 40 employees, they're 
they're not all going to like you. And it just is what right. it is. Well, I think that, <laughs> yeah, they might hate you, but ultimately, why are what is your business? Mm-hmm. And oh. I'm, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You see what I did there? Episode yeah. two, if you aren't knowing what we're talking about. Uh, what is your business? And my business is taking care of people. Mm-hmm. And typically when I am writing somebody up or I'm disciplining them, it's because what their actions have made it where we're not able to take care of somebody. So it seems simple, like um, not taking food temps. Well, that's not taking care of our residents who are paying to be here, right? Yeah. Or a CNA who is late all the time or a housekeeper who has called off 10 times. Those are things that are making it so we're not able to take care of people. So that's what I think of, and that would be the I advice. I love that. Oh, that might be helpful for me, focusing on what, what your core mm-hmm. business is. In, and if somebody is doing something to keep you from that, it does need to be talked about. Yeah. Making it less personal and more of a factual, situational. Right. Well, because, you know, and... This could be a whole nother podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you you also look at it as like, you know, tardiness is not as serious as some things. But like if you had to have a difficult conversation with somebody that hit a resident, would that be hard for you? No. I mean... Right. So you have somebody who's late for work every day. So we're short staffed. So a resident falls. I, I do this thing. It's called catastrophize. <laughs> so catastrophize. catastrophize. I, well, unfortunately, I have to. Right. You know, you have to look at what's the worst thing that could happen. So it might seem like a small thing, but it's a serious, you know, you have to take things seriously. That's a really good. I love that term. Catastrophize. Yeah. <laughs> we should copyright that. Yes. Uh, I do also want to point out when you're going back to knowing, you know, how to talk to generations and who I will push a little plug for Martin Brothers. If you're a customer of ours, we do have a resource that's available um, under our tools. It's a download about staffing. And we do have a chart that helps identify, you know, baby boomers, Gen X, uh, millennials, and Gen Z and how they're different. And it's kind of surprising to see you would think that like a Gen Z who's younger than millennials would be similar to millennials, but they are actually more similar to baby boomers. So um, some people even say they're similar to the greatest generation, so the traditionalists. So, I mean, I think it's very helpful to see that because like we discussed with our icebreaker question, there are some things about some people hate talking about generations. They think all people are the same. But I think once you do some more research, it is crazy because we're all brought up in the same generation and the same times. So obviously we are going to be more similar with each other than someone who's 20 years older. There is that saying you're an old soul, but you're still going to be similar to your generation in many ways. So kind of veering course again. So we've talked about starting out as a manager. We've talked about um, how to deal with difficult conversations. What's changed as you've gained your tenure now that you're an getting what's changed with me yeah I I, I'm much more confident Mm -hmm. than I was I and I think I said this earlier confidence comes with experience Mm -hmm. so I have not necessarily age right with experience um I think I've I know that things can get really bad but they're always going to get better and Mm -hmm. I, I know that because I have seen that happen in numerous situations and I talk, have to talk people through that. And if you trust me, we're going to work towards it, it getting better. But I, that's one thing that with gaining tenure. Um, let's. 
Well, and any other traits you've acquired you didn't think you'd ever take on. <laughs> so it could be bad, too. I'm not saying that it's all going to be good. As you gain experience, you turn into this amazing, never bad manager. Right. Um, we all have to admit our bad, bad things about us and our faults. And I am certainly a person with faults. And one one thing that I have done now that I probably I wouldn't have done 10 years ago is when somebody comes to me with an idea, especially if I've done it before and it hasn't worked, I'm like, ah, that's not going to work. So let's just cut that off. And I actively have to tell myself, okay, things are different than they were 10 years ago. Every, I mean, with all the new regulations, with mm-hmm. everything that's um, come out, especially the last three years, Ugh. things are, yeah, it's been... A headache. (laughs) But things that maybe weren't going to work 10 years ago will work, especially with employees, Mm -hmm. because we're seeing some of the highest um, number of turnover in buildings across the United States. We have a um, lack of staff everywhere, a shortage. Mm -hmm. And it's that's that's everywhere, everywhere. not even for just senior living. Everybody needs people. Mm -hmm. This, I mean, it's always good to not be in a recession, but when your unemployment is so low, mm-hmm. people can find a job, and there's a lot of jobs that pay decent, and you guys have a hard right. industry. Well, yeah. We are reimbursed pretty low yeah. for well, the services that we provide. Uh, we some, I mean, especially in Iowa, managed care companies are paying us slower than Medicaid was. Yeah, um, we have uh, cuts with Medicare. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to pay therapy companies. You have to pay your employees, and just because we're getting our um, everything cut doesn't mean that we don't give raises or we right. don't. <laughs> we know how are you going to keep these people? Yeah, yeah. It's you not have like to, it's yeah. a glorif- glorified. Like, I don't want to use. Them. I always am like, what kind of word can I use besides sexy industry? Yeah, it's not a very sexy industry, <laughs> you know. Um, it's it, it's not, but you know, I, I I'm gonna steal an Ed quote. Um, it's I get to take care of people. That's that's my job, mm-hmm. and that's what I get to spend my life doing. And um, I think that maybe we always say that it's not as sexy, but I mean that's that's kind of sexy. Good. Yeah, yeah, you know, it is. So that should be on a shirt. <laughs> uh, so you just said you just quoted Ed, who's your dad, right? Been in in the senior living industry forever, and same with your mom, right? It doesn't have to be Ed, but anyone give you good advice when you um, when you got started in management or in senior living, and how did it help? Well, I I think that the, some of the best advice that I did get from my dad, um, and it wasn't when I was doing senior living. I was in college, and I worked for a political candidate, and I went to Florida for the primaries. And I'm not going to tell you the candidate because now it's embarrassing. <laughs> um, but I went down I know there. Who it is. If you ever see me, you can ask if you're wondering. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We all make mistakes, guys. So I worked for a candidate, and I went down to Florida and made phone calls. And I mean, I totally geeked out. I, I Missed two weeks of school, but I was a political science major. So I went to oh. all my professors and they're like, good, get that experience. Yeah. It was my senior year. And and he he lost like pretty bad. And uh, I don't know if I told you there's a picture of me on the front page of a Florida paper crying, like <laughs> ugly crying. You know, nobody's pretty when they're crying, but it was like full like Kim Kardashian ugly crying. So and I called my dad and I was really upset. And my dad said, you know, um, and I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was, you know, there's in your life, you're going to have a lot more failure than you are success. 
And you have to learn through your failures to be a more successful person. And that always stuck with me because it is true. Yeah. We learn a lot more through our failures than we do through our successes. We, you can have a, a triumph and really like you're more like, yes, I did it. That's so amazing. You don't really learn from it. Right. But right. when you fail, you're like, I am never going to do that again. It stays with you. Yes. Failures definitely stay with you. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And there's, sure. and I've had failures. I've had, I've had a lot of successes, but I've certainly had some failures as well. And I think that's hiring people. Mm-hmm. That's um, oh, surveys. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, it's, you do things and you're like, gosh, I should have seen that coming. Mm-hmm. But n- now I'm going to put things into a place that I will see them coming. Yeah. So I think it makes you a better manager to fail. Yeah. It makes you a better leader. Certainly. Um, So that was something that really stuck with me. And, you know, Ed does have some yoga, Yoda, Yoda Yoda. moments. (laughs) Yoda. (laughs) Yeah. So and then, you know, my mom has always I'm very independent, I feel, and driven. And that's something that she's always uh, installed in in me. Mm -hmm. Oh, words to live by from Ed Osby. I love it. So what's um, now that you've been a manager and it's been over 10 years, have you seen a lot of changes with the managers now compared to 10 years ago even? Yeah. Um, one big thing, they're younger. Mm-hmm, yeah. I'm saying younger managers, which is good. Right. I mean, uh, there's not as many younger administrators as I would like to see, but, I mean, that would be amazing. You go mm-hmm. to conferences, and we're starting to see more mm-hmm. managers in their 20s, which we need because if you you know this, go to Iowa Healthcare or Missouri Healthcare, and you have – <laughs> managers that are getting ready to retire, retire right. and there's Who going to be put in those roles right yeah. there's going to be a shortage yeah. of managers um so they're but you know director of nursing there's younger mm-hmm. dietary managers i feel younger across the board younger uh there's more women mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's true. Yay. yeah yay, yay for us yep uh and i think part of that definitely especially in healthcare oh yeah i, I think part of that is uh, women, they're getting married. Well, we're all getting married later, mm-hmm. right? I mm-hmm. just got married and I was 32 when I got married and I don't have kids yet. I have mm-hmm. two bonus kids, but I don't have kids of my own yet. And I... Uh, so you can kind of work up. Right. So I, I spent you get to the 11 years um, working up and then now I am at a point in my career where I felt like I was... And I met the right guy. Right. That's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Josh. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, that's something, but and I think that um, I think that women are becoming more hungry, which mm-hmm. is good. Mm-hmm. You know, stay hungry, mm-hmm. and they're becoming the breadwinners. Yeah, which is good, um, and it's becoming uh, more of, of of a norm. Right, it's not looked, right frowned upon. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah, I, exactly. And I think that, like my mom, my parents are both boomers, and I think both of them, they're very okay with having women mm-hmm. in charge. Mm-hmm. I, and that's great. So, yep. um, that perception's changed. And they're making more money. Managers yeah, are making yeah. more money. Um, but you know why? It's because they're not afraid to ask for what they want. Mm-hmm. And I have respect for that. I, I have a lot of respect if a manager comes to me and says, I cannot make less than $50,000 a year and mm-hmm. it, and very blunt about it. I would much rather have that than kind of planting seeds or... Right, uh, or unhappy and right, looking right. without telling you. Right. Mm-hmm. I would rather somebody come and talk to me. So, And I think asking for what you want, that's a 
something that millennials certainly do yeah. and the Generation Z after us. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. yeah. Yep, I agree. Mm-hmm. So for, you know, you're saying younger people are becoming managers. Do you have any words of wisdom or suggestions um, for anyone who's about to take on their first management role or just started in their first management role? We've kind of discussed this, I guess, a little bit, but anything you want to reinforce? Uh, I think that the one thing we haven't talked about is uh, not tr- trying to change everything all at once. Oh, that's I, a good yeah. yeah, I use the analogy that, you know, taking a handful of cooked spaghetti and throwing it at a wall, right? <laughs> so what? how much of it sticks? <clears throat> right. And how do you know that what you're doing is right? Mm-hmm. So what's working and what's not? If you're changing 20 things at once and things are going okay, but you're still having some uh, a lot of staff turnover, how do you know if what's working? Which one's what's, working. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Which, which one's not working? Yeah. Because you could yeah. think that Even something's working. Yeah. So I always say make one big change and a few small changes. That's good. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. This is the best podcast ever. No offense <laughs> to Jed or anyone. <laughs> well, uh, but I mean, well, no, and it, well, you know, we, we do it. We don't take it credit for all the things that we do. And with the new regulations, I do know that there's a lot of complaining about the new regulations. And believe me, yeah. there's times where I, you know, want to yeah, burn that book sometimes. <laughs> all but, 786 pages. Or oh, it's, and you can't, and you can't know it all. You right. can't have every line memorized. So I guess you can, but. You're crazy then. Right. <laughs> You're a young man. You have too much time. <laughs> you have too much time on your hands. You don't have dance on Thursdays or. <laughs> Football and Disney. Yes. So, um, but you can't, um, you have to take credit for what we're doing. So, Quappy, mm-hmm. you know, that's a dirty word right now. But, you know, Quappy, that's taking credit for what you're doing. Right. That's so, exactly what we tell people. Mm-hmm. It's like, you guys are already doing this. Now you just have to go one extra stra- step and document that right. you're doing it. Right. You're all doing quality of care, I hope, or you shouldn't be in this industry. Mm-hmm. So, just prove it and show it. Right. Yeah. Right. And so that's why. So Quappy, it's like any education. And I know you've been to education on it. I've been to education. And they tell you about the changes mm-hmm. that they, they, you want to make the small changes with your PIP teams. Mm-hmm. And if those small changes work, then you work to bigger changes. And then right. that's how you figure out because you want to make sure that you can measure your success. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's so important in every aspect is to make sure that you can measure your successes. Because hmm. if you can't measure your successes and you can't tell if things are working, then you might as well not be doing them. That's true. Hmm. Huh, so, with experience I, comes wisdom, America. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> so, I almost want to end on that, but I had one more question I wanted to ask. Okay. So, too mm-hmm. bad we're not going to end on that. Okay. What is something you would ask listeners who work with young managers to keep in mind? How can they help and not hurt this next generation of managers? And there could be managers out there who just hired a couple of young people to become managers under them. What's things that they should keep in mind? Or what do you have to think about? You have younger managers. I do. Um, I think capitalizing on their strengths is a, is a thing that you should be doing for regardless whether they're young or not. And I think that... It, as a society, we focus so much on all the negatives, right? So, what what are the negatives Which about millennials? We on? Well, yes. we're selfish. Yes, 
and we're entitled. Yes. And we only care about ourselves, which isn't true. That is not. It is not true. That's false. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the things that I hear the most. Well, you're entitled and you only stay at a job for a year. Well, you maybe no- loyal. Right. We're not loyal. But, you know, maybe it's not because we're only staying at a job for a year because we're not loyal. Maybe it's because we don't see any growth. Mm-hmm. We're driven. So if you give um, your younger generation, you just give them little nuggets to get to here at a year, mm-hmm. maybe you can have this extra responsibility, you know, and that's what we want. We're a driven generation. So capitalizing on that and not looking at the bad parts of the generation and looking at the good parts. I mean, I, I'm a very good multitasker. I'm sure you are too. Mm. I you can know? be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As long as I have a post-it note to write notes. Yeah. Well, and that's, a, well, yeah, my joke is email me or I'll forget, right. you know? Right. Um, so, but I'm very good at multitasking. And that's a, with, in a nursing home, especially a nursing home. I worked in restaurants. Those are two industries that you need to be able to multitask. Right. And if you have somebody that does it well, that's great. If you have a millennial manager and they're really, they're probably really tech savvy and they're probably really good at social media. I mean, Facebook came out when I was mm-hmm. in college. Yeah. And I, I mean, that was when it was just colleges. Right. And I, so I can navigate Facebook and, you know, guess uh, another thing about nursing homes is we're usually broke. <laughs> we don't have, always have the money for marketing. So you can have them help with your marketing schemes. Right. I have uh, Facebook pages for all of our buildings and guess who's in charge of all of them? Millennials. Yeah. Yep. So it's people that know that. So take advantage of capitalize on those traits of millennials and Generation Z. I mean, they're they're coming up here too. Mm-hmm. Pretty soon they'll be managers. They're very driven and competitive. Ooh. Yes. So that's a good thing too. Yeah. And yeah. That's good advice. Well, geez, I think we might have hit this title on the hit it, the nail on the head when we called it the best podcast of any podcast ever. <laughs> this was really good. Yeah. So I just want to say thank you for joining me and for your time. And once again, thank you everyone else for joining us and listening. Um, we really think once again that you need to invest in self development. It increases the trajectory of your success as well as all those that you lead to. So thank you. We hope you're having a good time out there and join us again. Mm-hmm.